gold, the dollar, the nuclear working group, Trump's letter writing skills, another person killed by a cop in their own home, again from my home state now of Texas, um, from the Dallas-Fort Worth area, we'll talk about that, uh, Boeing, a lot of fuckery going on out there everybody, I am Gerardo Del Real, this is episode 40 of Bizarro World. It is getting more bizarre by the day. Mr. Nick Hodge, my co-host, is here with me. Nick, how are you today? Mercury must be in retrograde again, Gerardo. I'm doing great. Before we get to gold and uh, the Fed watch, of course, we got a Fed decision here at the end of the month. It's 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 you know largely anticipated that we're going to get another cut. I think they they've priced in a sixty five to seventy percent probability of that. But before we talk about that, before we talk about gold, um, I want to get into El Chapo's son who was arrested. Supposedly, the 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 latest rumor is at the behest of the DEA. And so when they arrested him, my wife and I were on the way to a movie. This was yesterday. Um, I, I, I showed her their headline. I said, oh, they did that in his home state. And then I looked. I said, oh, they did that in his hometown. I said, that's not going to stick. And sure enough, by the time we were out of the movie, um, they had <laughs> they had re- released him, right? <laughs> because you're not going into Culiacan, Sinaloa and arresting the son of El Chapo without a lot of casualties. I don't care if it's the DEA requesting the arrest. I don't care if the DEA is helping with the arrest. That's just not the way politics work in Mexico. Did you get a chance to catch that story at all, Nick? I saw your tweet about it yesterday. I was going to ask you for more detail about it. Um, I have no insight at all to provide. The only thing I'll say is that Every media outlet I saw report was fast to report the arrest, but was slow to report the release, <laughs> including including the headline of the New York Times uh, daily newsletter, which I often cite that I got today, which put the arrest in the headline, but not the release uh, in the fucking headline. And this is I happened yesterday. So tell them what happened. It's an absolute embarrassment to both the Mexican government and frankly, the DEA and um it's one that I actually feel good about. The bottom line is this. Um, El Chapo's son now is in charge, allegedly, of his father's faction of that cartel. That cartel has been rumored to have split into sev- several different factions. Um, and, and there's a lot of territory that's in dispute. What's not in dispute is who runs shit in Culiacan, Sinaloa. That is not in dispute. And if anybody knows how Mexican politics work, there is a, <laughs> there is a very, very established hierarchy when it comes to the criminal underground, right? And, and the way that it works, it's very simple. It's kind of like real estate, right? It's local. And so there is a person that is in charge of the town police. There is a person that is in charge of the state police. There is a contact between the criminal underground organization, insert name, and the state and federal people that are overseeing the organization. And there are agreements and bribes that have been paid and continue to be paid. And this is just the way it's worked for centuries. It's the way politics works in Mexico. So while El Chapo was arrested um, outside of his hometown and home state, um, this I just knew was not going to fly. And the the rumor that's going around is that um, once they realized that he had actually been captured um, they went ahead, the, the, the cartel went ahead and said, okay, look, separate factions. It's time to put the dispute aside for a couple of hours. Everybody go talk to your contact and let them know we're on the way to get their family. If he's not released within the next couple of hours, 
it's going to be a massacre and we're not sparing anybody. And so again, that's just the way Mexico works right now. The fact, if it's true that the DEA had something to do, and I do believe that that's the case for it to be so botched up, there's no way that the Mexican military decided this on their own. Uh, But if you see some of the videos on Twitter of (laughs) all of the cartel vehicles and, and then the trucks and the M50s coming in, that gives you an idea of the security situation in Mexico right now. Um, and, and, and what it looks like when somebody that's as high profile and connected as El Chapo's son, um, is arrested without permission from the local and state government. Um, it's, that's something I wanted to ask you about was the pictures and the videos on Twitter, because not only was there, you know, vehicles, there was machine guns mounted on vehicles. And I saw smoke rising from multiple locations in the city and vehicles on fire. And I guess one of the questions I had is, what's sort of the precedent for that? I mean, we read a lot about uh, murders and casualties of drug wars in Mexico, but put it in perspective as far as scale yesterday. The scale, the, the, the fires that you saw, I'll speculate, and I'm only speculating this because this is what happened in my hometown of Montescovedo, Zacatecas, a few years back. It was actually, um, I, I believe it was 2010, and it was the first time that I took my wife, who is, you know, born and raised in Alaska and hadn't been to Mexico with me at the time, and took my kids. Um, and we were there during a transition of the local politics and by by a transition of the local politics um i mean there was an established cartel that was in the state and the city and the town that i'm from that had been there for decades uh, peacefully mostly and there was a new cartel coming in um to displace them and so the way that went down is you had buses at each entrance and exit of the city that were lit on fire Um, once the new cartel came in to try to take over to make sure that the Marines, the other cartel and the new cartel were all trapped. And basically what broke out was a firefight that they reported left 13 dead. And, and, you know, anybody that was there and anybody that, that, (laughs) that lives there can tell you it was upwards of a hundred people. They actually had to take a day off, um, where nobody would be arrested and the rival cartels were allowed to come in and pick their people up from the side of the road. It was nasty. It was ugly. So when you ask me for scale, um, this didn't get to that point because the response from the cartel was so overwhelming. Frankly, the Mexican military never had a chance. And again, anybody that knows anything about the way things work locally knew that that was not going to hold. So, you know, I'll speculate that they lit entrances and exit points on fire, um, to trap people in and then, and, and, and only allow in. Frankly, the people that were called up, there were people that were called from as far away as Zacatecas, my home state, and Guadalajara, Jalisco, which is the the, the neighboring state. And, and just some, some context, that's you know, it's about a three or four hour drive. So when you see all those trucks coming in later on that evening, that's where they were coming from in case he was not released. Um, and, and I'm glad they released them because... You know, for for, for the 1% or 2% of the people involved in illegal activity, um, most people are just hardworking and looking for upward mobility. And, and, you know, there's always casualties. So I'm glad that was the outcome. Um, Amateur hour from the DEA and the Mexican military, though. And again, I have to say it was DEA inspired because I just can't see the Mexican military making a decision like that. Um, there, there, There was no other way that was going to turn out. And so what happens next? I was just thinking if, you know, this was <laughs> incompetence from the, from the DEA, right, and the, and the military. And I just think about, 
thinking back through the years, all the stories of the El Chapo escapes and hiding in laundry baskets and tunnels. I mean, this is going to be a movie someday and his son is going to be the sequel, right? So what's next? Um, a great movie is next. <laughs> El Chapo is probably laughing his ass off somewhere. And a lot of people from the DEA are likely getting fired or transferred to administrative duties here in the very near future, because that was just, that was as, as, as botched an operation in public as I have seen in my 40, soon to be 41 years of life. Um, I, I mean, that, that that's really it. I think, you know, they've tipped their hand that they're looking to arrest them in Mexico. They've now tipped their hand that the DEA, and we all knew that, everybody knew that, was active in Mexico and actively ordering operations through the Mexican military. And now they've made it where this might actually unite some of those split up factions um, within that cartel um, because they did all come together to go get the boss and the boss's son, right? And so nothing good. Great will job, guys. Yeah, good job. Nothing good will come out of it from the DEA's perspective. Um, I'm looking forward to the movie in five or ten years because I am sure there's going to be whistleblowers that are are, are are going to be contributing some juicy details to that. I think it's going to be one of those great dark comedies that with, with, with some amazing action scenes um, that just just God makes a mockery of the DEA. So, you know, the other reason why I take a little bit of pleasure in it is because of the fact that the DEA is so aggressive about going to get El Chapo's son. Meanwhile, you know, the Purdue people, the pharmaceutical people just negotiated a deal, I believe the other day, or they're trying to negotiate a deal where they pay somewhere along the lines of $50 billion. That'll be their fine um, for causing the opioid crisis here in America. Right. And meanwhile, 70% of the weapons that are used to kill people in Mexico are coming from the U S. So, you know, this isn't a, this isn't, I'm, I get very resentful about that from both sides of it. Right. If we're going to be fair, then let's be fair. And, and if we're going to arrest one kind of kingpin or arrest the other kind. Um, and if you're going to be that aggressive and, and spend my tax dollars, uh, be equal, do that that way. Um, you know, and the other thing I get resentful because I know where all the guns are coming from. They're coming from the U S and, and they're being used to kill people that look and speak and sound like me. The Purdue drug dealers are white and white collar and have lobbyists, Gerardo. That's my that's my whistle. You I'm got there. it. You got it. That that that's it. So that's my rant. That's my riled up rant for for today. Let's talk markets really quick. Um, I want to start with uranium, the nuclear working group. We now know it appears um will be given another thirty days due to the fact that. Uh, Mr. Bolton had stepped down. He was he was co-chairing that, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, co-chairing it or running it. And as a result, there was a delay. Um, Rick Perry, it's been announced, is resigning as the energy secretary by year end. So I think in 30 days, what's going to happen? The way I understood it is we'll finally get the recommendations um, that we were supposed to get in July, and then got passed down to October. So looks like mid-November is what we're hoping for. Any thoughts on that, Nick? Buying opportunity or are you still waiting to see? Well, I think you've got to be in a buying opportunity here after the, the U.S. uranium stocks gapped down back in July on the lack of an announcement. Um, the article that you got the information from about Bolton and Rick Perry resigning also said that um, when asked if they were going to present options that were supportive to the domestic uh, nuclear or uranium mining industry. Did Rick Perry believe that was going to be the case? He said, I do. 
Um, the stocks went up a couple of percent the day that was announced. And so we'll see what those recommendations are. We can put a link up to that article about um, what all the options are. And we covered them, I think, a podcast or two ago, what that sort of framework could look like. So you got to be, I think, uh, a buyer and an owner, certainly an owner, because we have been for a long time of some of these names. And I wrote about it a bit this week in, in a couple of letters, just how all these fundamentals continue to be in place, whether you look at uranium or you look at lithium or you even look at gold. And it seems like all, all the boxes have been ticked, right? And yet the true, you know, rip your face off bull market just has failed to materialize and no one can put their finger on a, a catalyst for what that is going to be. And yet uh, gold continues to hold up there and there's a reason for that. And so maybe we'll talk about some of those things over the next couple of minutes. Yeah, no, let's let's get into it. Gold closed around the 1490 level, continues to be resilient. Uh, the juniors in the space continue to act. I, 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 I joked last week when we spoke, I, this week actually, I'm saying this is the most bearish bull market I've ever seen. I think it's a generational buying opportunity, as Brian London of the Gold Newsletter um, said to me earlier this week when I interviewed him. Um, you and I will both be at his conference at the New Orleans Investment Conference from November the 1st through November the 4th. I highly encourage anybody who has the opportunity to attend that conference to do so. The lineup this year is absolutely stacked. Danielle DiMartino Booth, Simon Moores, Mickey Fulp, Nick Hodge, yours truly. Um, I could go on and on. Brent Cook will be there. But his main point was that he believes this is a generational opportunity to accumulate wealth because of the fact that the fundamentals and the technicals are so strong in the gold market and yet the share prices of the companies that have assets, that have resources, forget the exploration companies for now, um, companies that have the five, six million ounces already there, the Midas Golds of the world are trading at levels that they were at. 52-week low. It's, uh, it's, it's trading where it was two years ago. And yes, they've had a financing or two since then, but Nothing, nothing that says it should be trading where it's trading. And so I encourage anybody that's new to this space, if you're young, if you're older, whatever it is, don't bet the ranch on it, but please do some due diligence because there is some serious money to be made on the other side of this. Um, you wanted to talk about the dollar and gold and why gold's holding up. I'll, uh, I'll pass the mic to you there, Mr. Hodge. No, I don't want to talk about the dollar. I wanted to ask you a bit about the dollar because I had seen a bit today. We talked a lot about a strong dollar on this podcast and how it's been hanging out at the, the triple digit level, the one zero zero on the index. And it slipped a bit this week. And I was wondering if you had any insight why technically I had seen someone pull the chart where it broke south of a wedge around, I don't know, 96 or 97. I was wondering what your thoughts were there. Is that just a function of the 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 geopolitical news that's been going on the turkey syria war stuff or is there is there something else uh, afoot there i think it's a temporary pause in what is going to be a rip your face off rally in the dollar and i think that's coming in the last month of the year um i've, I've, I've been saying that all year long i think this is a if you notice the volatility index along with the dollar kind of pulled back as at the same time, the 10 year, you know, kind of shot up a little bit. And what that tells me is that the market perceives stability, some stability from Europe, because Europe is really the powder keg that I think is, is next to explode. I think that um, their governors don't agree with the departing ECB president, Mr. Mario Draghi. They don't agree. <laughs> they think he was bullish. Wait till, wait till Miss, Miss Christine Lagarde gets in there. Um, 
I, 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 there, there's such disagreement there that I think this is the calm before the storm, the calm before the storm that really gets the dollar past that triple digit level in the dollar index. And I think that, um, you know, just buckle up, buckle up. Cause I think it's going to be exciting. So that's all I see. I just think it's a temporary pause. I think there's a, a, a perception that, that markets are stable. I think there's a perception that things are going to be okay. Um, the fed is involved again. You know, we don't have to call it QE because they don't want it to, uh, want us to call it QE. But the bottom line is the feds out there buying a whole bunch of stuff, right? They're injecting a lot of capital into the markets. Um, that doesn't preach stability to me. And the market is certainly expecting uh, relative stability, if not better than that. I follow the TVIC closely. I trade it relatively often and less often. I recommend other people buy it. But it has pulled back to the lowest it's been in years. I mean, there is not a drop of leverage volatility out there. Nobody wants to touch this thing. Markets are back to around their records. Um, uh, people think that new highs are going to be put in and, and then stocks are going to go up. And that could be true. But that doesn't mean that, you know, gold is going to go down. I think we're entering a, a new phase of that. And I, I think you're right in that it's a temporary period in that people, institutions, analysts, even algorithms, to some extent, don't know what the hell is going on. Right. We're in earning season. There's a lot of different things shifting. China just put in its slowest growth since records are being kept, albeit still growing at six percent, which the U.S. would be absolutely, you know, should be absolutely jealous of. Um, and and yet. Base metals continue to be soft, but then you hear you have gold and palladium um, up around all time highs in, in some currencies. And so it's just a maelstrom of, of data that people are trying to process. And not only that, relating it back to the to the junior miners, you've now entered tax law season and you've got um, algorithms uh, hitting some of those names. We talked about revival gold this week, just, you know, going down to something like 40 cents or just something, you know, absolutely unbelievable relative to the the valuation they should be re receiving. And so um, I think a lot of people are just looking cross-eyed at the markets right now. And um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you've been expecting one last shakeout. And certainly, certainly talking to the people that run in our circles, they are fed up, man. Um, <laughs> I mean, it makes know, my people, contrarian heart laugh. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. And then, and, then, and then you got other deals, some, some of which I tweeted and wrote about this week where, um, you know why people get that bad taste in their mouth about, you know, TSXV companies when you got properties being recycled that were just drilled a year ago and turned up dusters. And now you got another outfit promoting them. And it's like it, that just distracts capital and attention from the from the quality stories. And so I think all those juniors get thrown out with the bathwater. And so far, it's only been, um, you know, mid tier and, and larger producers that are generating cash flow that, that have that have seen movement and, and we haven't attracted institutions back to the space. I know I'm just going off on a tangent now, but um, we're at a cross, we're at a cross point, crossroads for sure. Agreed. I'll give you another example briefly. I talked about uh, the, the the explorers, and then I talked about you know companies like Midas Gold that already have you know reserves and a resource, a robust resource, and 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 an advanced asset. This is how bad it is, even for the explorers um, that 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 are doing a phenomenal job. Millrock Resources is up over fifty percent, I believe, here in the last couple of weeks. They just negotiated a deal whereby this company, Northern Cobalt Limited, which is going to be renamed Great Northern Metals, will invest up to $20 million 
to explore this district-scale massive land package in Alaska that Milrock was able to put together. So $20 million U.S. to earn 60% in the overall project, right? So we can do the math and we can, we can, we can extrapolate that the project is worth a lot more than the $20 million. What is the market cap of Millrock Resources even after the deal and after the 50% bump? It's 11.5 million Canadian. I mean, that's a serious disconnect, people. Um, Serious disconnect. And again, a serious opportunity. So that's, you know, we we could go on and on. Um, I I give you 10 names right now uh, in, in, in the portfolio that have robust assets excellent exploration potential, the capital to explore, the capital to add value, and the market could care less. It's an opportunity. Um, When will it turn? Not sure. Um, Spidey senses tell me after January the 1st, 2020, uh, because of tax law selling season. But, you know, who knows? We'll see. But I can tell you this. I'll be writing checks. I'm excited. I'm excited. I hope I get three months more, three three more months of of, of this type of trading action um, to add the best names to my portfolio. There'll be one day instead of talking about getting money together to pay taxes, we'll be talking about getting money together to exercise <laughs> war- warrants. How do you, I, I I I still don't know how to do that. <laughs> I joke, but it's been a long time since I exercised a warrant, man. A long time. Let's keep the conversation here because we're not the only ones, Nick, that see this incredible opportunity. The Australians see this incredible opportunity. The Chinese see this incredible opportunity and they're voting with their dollar. This isn't just talk, right? Um, I know you want to get into that a little bit. Um, The great North American asset Giveaway, I believe, is what what you what you what you called it. You want to get into that a bit, Nick? Yeah, I, 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 we look at these projects. You mentioned Millrock's Good Pasture uh, project is a good one, right? And it's what's the mine that it's adjacent to? It's the, the Pogo, Pogo mine, mine who, owned by Northern and Star. Who just who just bought that mine, right? You said Australia, right? And where and where is Northern from? Australia, and where's Millrock's new partner from? <laughs> right. Right, Australia. And so these guys are, are flush with cash. They've been making a lot of money on gold mines in Australia. They have better valuations than uh, than the uh, companies on the on the North American exchanges for reasons I just touched on a second ago, perhaps. Um, they didn't get distracted with uh, uh, marijuana thing and crypto thing, which is an off-sited fact. And so they have cash, obviously. Look, they just put together this uh, consortium of brokerage is to come up with $20 million quick for the, at least 5 million quick, and then 20 million for the deal with Milrock. And so they have deep pockets. We're not seeing big financings like that coming from um, North American money. And if it is, it's a, it's a smorgasbord of retail. We haven't seen institutions come back in a big way. And, and, and that's sort of it. That's, that's the, the, that's the discussion. That's the point I wanted to make. And it's very short sighted for, for lots of reasons. Um, you're giving away assets that are going to contain the resources that that are that are going to provide the foundation of growth for the next century, um, monetarily and technologically. And so, so um, just very short sighted. And then you see an article in the news this this week from from Barrick saying that their their Zambian mine is is up for sale, and the only interest is being mustered by the Chinese. It's it's a billion dollar. Um, copper project, right? And so um, 
and China's all over Africa. We know that. Just you know, look at Ivanhoe and the investment Zijin has made there, and 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 other ones. And so, um, you know, I wrote a bit about batteries this week, and 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 you got the Chinese moving into into Argentina as well, and they know um, because they're already mandating the phase out of gasoline cars, and they know what's required to build. Um, sustainable and, and scalable mega factories for lithium ion batteries because they've been doing it. And that means um, nickel and copper and cobalt and lithium and um, North America just can't seem to get it shipped together fast enough. And, you know, we hear these reports come out of the, the geologic society about critical minerals are put on this list and, 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 and that list, but no action has been taken. And, and then I see, I'm just going to rant now, sorry. And then I see no, people like no. Greta, Greta Thunberg get up there in the UN and, and cry and tear up and have an angry face. And that's all well and good for her cause. But the Gretas of the world should be like lithium, mine, lithium miners, right? They should become uh, oil and gas engineers and try to find more lithium and, and sustainable sources of cobalt. And it's just something that nobody talks about. And you can extend that onto uranium as the only source of of stable baseload power. And I, I just hear people complain about the emissions and trash bags and she took a sailboat. Who fucking cares? You gotta start <laughs> building more nuclear power plants and, and powering more things with batteries. If you can't grow it, you have to mine it. I'll say this about young Greta. She's got a hell of a mean mug. Oh my god, a mean mug. I I'll put a <laughs> uh, anyway, I'll put a that death stare is fantastic. It's the best death stare I've seen since Mike Tyson in his prime. Mm, he's got a mean mug too. Now yeah. a tattooed mean mug. A tattooed mean mug, indeed. Um, back to the question, the original. Well, back to the original point about whether we think that this um, stability, relative stability in the markets, will last. Let me remind you about our President Trump here in the United States. Everybody, I want to read a letter. This, this was written to the president of Turkey. I'm reading the whole damn thing, everybody, because this is the man calling the shots on the free world. Dear, <laughs> dear Mr. President, let's work out a good deal. You don't want to be responsible for slaughtering thousands of people, and I don't want to be responsible for destroying the Turkish economy. And I will. I've already given you a little sample with respect to Pastor Brunson. I have worked hard to solve some of your problems. Don't let the world down. You can make a great deal. General Maslum is willing to negotiate with you and he is willing to make concessions that they would never have made in the past. I am confidentially enclosing a copy of his letter to me just received. History will look upon you favorably if you get this done the right and humane way. It will look upon you forever as the devil if good things don't happen. Don't be a tough guy. Don't be a fool. <laughs> I will call you later. <laughs> is it Mr. Is it Mr. T that wrote the letter? <laughs> Again, I follow Donald Trump on Twitter. I also follow a parody account. And I thought for about 20 minutes that it was from the parody account until Fox News confirmed for me <laughs> that this it was indeed a real letter um, from the president. And again, if you think things are going to main, like remain and maintain, if you think things are going to remain stable and we're going to maintain some sort of like facade of stability, just remember who your president is here in the United States. Um, the Turkish president 
was not amused. He said when he received the letter, he threw it in the garbage bin and he vows to never forget it. Can't make this stuff up, everybody. Do you think he really got handed like a physical letter that he was could actually throw in a garbage bin? You don't think he read it on the screen? Do you think they actually print them out? I, I, I there was a cop. There's a copy of it online. Hmm. I didn't think we did physical letters anymore. Um, well, Trump, any, Trump, Trump, Trump said he Trump said he confidentially enclosed the letter he just got from the general. <laughs> so there were two letters that were delivered. <laughs> So, yeah, no, I don't think the stability will last, everybody's what I'm trying to tell you. Why? Because the person calling the shots isn't stable. So that's all I got to say on that, Nick. Any thoughts on the stability of our stable genius? Stable as ever. No, nothing to add other than um, I think he gives the, the level of legitimacy to the presidency that it's always deserved. <laughs> that's another conversation for another day um yeah you know it's, it's it's interesting you say that i'm reading um mr grant who i believe is one of the most uh uh misunderstood presidents right um yeah, i'm reading his biography and man the contrast of the people then and the people now, right? And obviously he had his imperfections and his bouts with substance abuse and all this. But man, you read about, you know, the Civil War and you read about the sacrifices made and you read about the dignity with which he upheld the position and, and how serious it was taken. And then you fast forward to 2019 and man, it's a clown show. It's a clown show. And obviously the founding fathers were far from perfect, but wow, it's a, it's a different level of thing right now. And we get to comment on it every single week in the appropriately named podcast. Bizarro world. And every week it gets more bizarre. Um, every week, too, it appears that a Texas police officer shoots a random black person in their own house. Uh, it happened again on October the 12th. We just had this conversation about Amber Geiger a few weeks ago who was who was found guilty of murder and was then hugged by the judge and had her hair brushed by the CO, um, the corrections officer, and got a hug from the brother of the victim that was murdered. And so here we are a couple of weeks later and a Fort Worth, Texas police officer who was called by a neighbor to do a welfare check on a residence with the door that was open. Um, didn't announce himself as a police officer. Didn't park up front with his police cruiser. Ladies inside playing a video game with her nephew. Um, hears some rumbling outside. Retrieves her legally owned weapon to see what's going on because it's, you know, dark. It's two in the morning and is looking outside to see what's going on. And next thing you know, the officer fires from outside the residence through a window um, and kills this young lady. I mean, 28 years old, in her home, minding her business, playing a video. With her nephew. With her nephew. And so I just, I don't, I don't yeah, I, I, I don't get it. You know, I, I, I don't understand the level of training. And I would love a police officer to come on the podcast and explain it to me and explain it to us. But I don't know the level of training that goes into um, 
de-escalating potential situations. They clearly know how to do so because I've seen many instances where, you know, mass shooters are arrested without a scratch on them. And so I don't understand why this continues to happen other than insecure people with badges that have always looked for a reason to shoot somebody and think that this is the easiest way to get away with it. Um, <laughs> the guy resigned, the officer resigned before he could be fired. And, you know, to the Fort Worth Police Department's credit, they immediately charged him with murder and arrested him um, and said that they had no further comment until they concluded the investigation. So, yeah, let, let's see how this ends up. Any, any thoughts or comments there, Nick? Oh, lots of thoughts and comments. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you, you know me in this topic. Yep. Um, first of all, it was supposed to be a wellness check, right? And um, admittedly, by the police chief's press conference the, following the incident, they did not respond in a manner that would be appropriate for a wellness check. They responded as though it was a suspicious activity from the start, which means, as you said, no lights, no sirens parked around the corner, uh, crept through the gate, went to the back of the house. You don't do that for a wellness check. Correct. Um, uh, unannounced, didn't say um, Fort Worth police, didn't announce himself as an officer of the law, simply fired through uh, the window. Um, so the positive, as you said, arrested immediately. That's a change from the past. Um, immediately was going to be dismissed from the force. The use that he, he was uh, resigned before that happened. I view that as a change from the past. Correct. Um, what I don't look forward to is uh, a lenient sentencing and the things that are going to be used as a defense um, at the at the trial. Um, and the other thing I appreciated was um, the police chief's compassion uh, with which he spoke about um, the incident. In fact, he broke down in tears following it. And that was something that struck me. Uh, one of the things he said was, because this is a new chief in Fort Worth because they have been having some <laughs> uh, problems. As you said, they've killed six or seven people in the past couple of months, like you said. So uh, he breaks down in tears and he says, you know, we work so hard to build up these trusts. And, and I got we got these good guys that are out there on a day to day basis. And you don't see that. And they build up all this rapport and this trust with the community. And then someone comes right along and steps on that anthill. Um, and that was what got me because yep. we talk about this all the time, the thin blue line, right? Yep. I saw a guy, I saw a guy yesterday in the gas station wearing a thin blue line hat. Um, and it's that thin blue line that allows the anthill crushers to continue to crush the anthills. You have to tear down the thin blue line. You have to put it through a paper shredder. You can't continue um, to protect, not talking about this case, just talking about the, the, the state of, of American policing as a whole, to protect the bad apples. I mean, this is an age-old thing that we know. Uh, one bad apple upsets the cart. This isn't a hard thing to process. Um, when you have a bad apple, you call that person a cancer. He's a cancer on the team. These people are identifiable, and you need to call them out and hold them accountable from the very beginning. And, and, and I think that's just something very obvious that the quote unquote good cops are unwilling to do so far. And I'm also tired of hearing about the good cops because yep. if they were good cops, they would be eradicating the anthill crushers from the start. And instead, they are complacent and complicit. 
And that's what I don't get about this whole argument, the good cop thing. And so I'll leave it there for that part of it. The whole other part of it is stuff I've talked about on this podcast before that stems from the, um, you know, Patriot Act 9-11 increasing the budgets of podunk police um, uh, units in towns with less than 10,000 people who have MRAP vehicles and who now use SWAT to respond to, to routine uh, warrant requests. I mean, it's it's all plays into it, right? You can't you can't be recruiting people to be on your police force with violent videos of smashing through doors with battery rams, etc. Because that's inherently breeding subconsciously or, or consciously um, what they want to do, how they want to act. And and just from personal experiences, I know these cops out there have itchy trigger fingers, man. Yep. Absolutely. This asshole's name, by the way, is Aaron Dean is the officer that decided to pull up at two in the morning unannounced without patrol lights on, without a spotlight on, not through the front door, without presenting himself as a police officer and decided that he could shoot from outside in somebody in their own home. So it's important to know his name. Think about that, right? Procedure said it's a wellness check. That's not how you roll up. And I have to assume for a minute, but I'm going to because it just it's that's what happened. Oh, it's nighttime. It's dark. Let me creep around the fence. Let me park around the corner. Let me play. Let me play Johnny super bad cop. Right. Let me shoot somebody through the window. It's like, no, just fucking rap on the door and see if the chick's okay. That's why you were called, you fucking asshole. Yeah. And there's some dispute now about whether he was even called for a wellness check. I'm not I'm not sure what that is. It doesn't matter at the end of the day. To your point, um, even 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 if it was a wellness check, it's not how you do wellness checks. It's crazy, man. That's all I got on that one. Let, 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 let's switch it up a little bit. You know, condolences to 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 the young lady's family. Um, Atiana Jefferson is her name. Atiana Jefferson. Correct. And and the condolences to the gentleman that called supposedly for the welfare check. He looked pretty distraught. Um, I, I, I can't imagine me being concerned about my neighbor and me being neighborly and doing what I think is the right thing. Um, and next thing you know, my neighbor's dead because of my phone call. Um, Joaquin Castro, who is running for president, had a great quote. He said, we need to investigate police violence as gun violence because it doesn't excuse them just because they're cops. He also had a great point to Beto who was hell bent on <laughs> getting everyone to sell their AR-15s to him, although it'll never happen. Um, Joaquin Castro said, I don't want to put a policy in place that allows any more police officers that gives them any more excuses to go into our neighborhoods and communities and knock on our doors with guns because that hasn't worked out very well thus far. So kudos to Mr. Mr. Castro. Again, I don't think he's got a shot in hell of, uh, of, of making it forward, despite the fact that he's got a lot of substance behind his campaign. He just, he doesn't pull the way that, that, that you need to, but, um, just, I, I thought some great points and counterpoints to the rest of the field that's running so far. He makes some good points sometimes. He's the one that asked Joe Biden if he remembered what he said 30 <laughs> seconds ago. I like the guy. I like the guy. Good substance, and I'm sure he's got a bright future in politics. Um, let's talk about satellite refueling. Um, 
You're, you're, you always have these interesting, insightful stories. Uh, by the way, I followed up on the cow mutilations from last week. And that, man, the more I read about it, the crazier and creepier that story gets. But um, I'm curious to hear about your satellite refueling story, Nick. Please share. Um, just the insightful tidbit of the week. I've never been too much on space, but it is obviously becoming more and more important. We were supposed to have the first all-female space walk this week. It didn't happen. They didn't have enough of the right size uniforms. Maybe it'll happen soon. We'll talk about it on another podcast. Um, last week, we talked about, or I touched on satellites from space, how they monitor parking lots to see how many cars are in them at the malls to get a gauge of you know retail yep. spending and, and, and how many cars are being sold on vendor lots. And, and what I didn't know was that they were you know spying on smelters and things to get a gauge of how much um, or was being processed, et cetera. Um, what I also didn't know is that once you put a satellite into space, it's sort of like, see ya, you throw it up there and it does its thing and you never touch it or see it again. They're just kind of reach the end of their useful life and they run out of propellant and they just become space junk. And so uh, Northrop Grumman um, this month is attempting the first um, satellite to satellite connection, they're going to launch uh, a device to go try to refuel a satellite to, to refuel it with propellant so we can continue to use it. And I just thought that was fascinating because I don't know much about space. Call me a, a neophyte. But um, and, and then when you I was also reading about how Elon Musk wants to put so many satellites up there to give global coverage of internet to people in remote areas that don't have access to internet. And I think he wants to put something like, I don't know, hundreds of satellites up there. And so then you think about, I was reading this week about how um, Virgin Galactic sent one of their employees on a space flight because it's now going to be her job to market these space flights to the super wealthy. I think there's something like a quarter million dollars a seat. Hmm. Um, and she went on her first space flight so she could relay, you know, get a firsthand experience to use in her, her marketing of that stuff. And it's just like, man, really, it's like to infinity and beyond is here. We are, we're refueling satellites. We're doing spacewalks relatively uh, commonly. Um, new nations are going to, to space and um, we're sending new things to Mars to get readings. And I just find it fascinating. But more importantly, it was a Northrop Grumman refueling satellite story that I just thought was cool. I'll put a link up. Very cool. Looking forward to the link. Looking forward to reading it. What else you got on your mind, Nick? Oh, are we wrapping up or you want me to talk about the wealth thing? So there was this article in the New York <laughs> Times this week uh, about wealth hoarding. And I, I, I thought it was interesting from from multiple angles. Did you get a chance to see any of the, the response to it or did you get a chance to see the article itself? I am looking at it as we speak. So it was about the uber, uber wealthy. We're talking, you know, I mean, we're talking about the Zuckerbergs and the Bezoses and the Steve Ballmers and the... The bees. Um, Larry, the Ellisons. The yeah, the, the, <laughs> the billionaires. Bees, right? And yeah. why, they don't, why they don't stop working and um, how they accumulate wealth and how much wealth they have and how that's like an addiction like alcohol and how, you know, it's one drink and then two drink and then three drink and it's one billion and then two billion and then three billion and it's never enough. And then you need. Hey, you had a good song um, going there. <laughs> I thought you were rapping for a little bit, Nick. <laughs> one billion, two billion, three billion, four. <laughs> you had a bob going, we, Nick. Sorry to sorry to interrupt. You're jacking up my flow. I'm sorry, right? man. I'm sorry. <laughs> Back on beat. Let, let it run. 
Um, what was I saying? And then so how it's not enough to have a courtside seat, then you got to own your own team. And then how it's not enough to have your own team. Now these owners are opening up their own stadiums. The Warriors just had an owner finance brand new one and a half billion dollar stadium built in San Francisco. And then Steve Ballmer was like, oh, hell no, I'm building my own shit in Los Angeles. And um, and then Bezos is like, fuck all y'all. I'm going to space, bitch. There's your podcast title for the week, everybody. Space, bitch. <laughs> and then it was talking about how these celebrities um, are sitting next to the owners. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing. This isn't how the article went. I'm sort of just on a riff now. But it was talking about, you know, Lady Gaga's then sitting next to Steve Ballmore, and she's thinking, man, I'm just a little peon. And even though I get paid off the show, I so, so let me start a makeup line with Amazon so me and Bezos can both get motherfucking richer. And oh, she, uh, she likes not paying taxes, about, huh? She saw that. Wait, what's that? I said she must like not paying taxes. You know, Amazon didn't pay any corporate taxes last year, right? <laughs> At least she caught on. The advantages of corporatism. Yes. Um, and so and so the article was about how wealth begets wealth and rich people collaborate with rich people. And But it was made to – it was basically an anti-capitalist thing and an anti-billionaire screed. Um, and it started with Bernie Sanders saying how no one should be a billionaire. But it, it ended with a link to Jim Rickard's books, which I was really doing a head scratch <laughs> What in the fuck? Okay, that's a plot <laughs> twist. Back that one up. Yeah, so read, read the whole article and see at the end. And it's talking about how, um, you know, we're in the age, we're back in the 1920s. And there's never been this much wealth disparity since uh, the jazz age and um, oh, these rich guys are really, really, really worried about losing their money and um, they think a recession is coming and they call Jim Rickards when they get worried. That's sort of how this New York Times article concluded and then linked to like Jim Rickards. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, I'm sure these podcast listeners know who Jim is. But the, the, resp the response I saw on Twitter, and this gets into, you know, cancel culture and and fake outrage and all that is like, why do they get to be so rich? It's a disease. It's wealth hoarding. Why do they continue to work? There's no reason there should be billionaires. And, and we can break that down and we can talk about it uh, another time. But the, what these people don't understand is that all these individuals, the Zuckerbergs, the Bezoses, the Bombers, et cetera, are just operating within the system that they were born into and that they've been given. What needs to change? changes the system right and there's a book out this week about uh, uh monopolies by matthew staller that we should mm. probably put a link up i should probably buy and i've been talking about monopolies for almost a year now and how antitrust uh legislation needs to come back into the fore similar to those you know early 1900 days when you had the standard oil etc it's that we've allowed these corporations to become so big and break the laws so often and let them become people do you remember that i mean let's not forget that corporations are people now it's some of that stuff that we have to roll back and scale back and that will rein in the wealth and the wealth disparity that allowed these folks to get rich um uh from the beginning and so i just thought it was a misguided response to that take i thought the article was well, it was an article whatever it presented some some good opinions and facts and some things i didn't know like when um, I think it was Steve Ballmer built a 400 foot yacht, Larry 
Alice and waited until it was deep, and then he built a 450-foot one. <laughs> so he's going to have the biggest pleasure out in the world. But anyway, um, a function of corporatism and monopolies, I think, and not so much these individuals was the, the point I wanted to make, I think. In the words of the great poet Pusha T, if you want to be upset, don't blame the puppets. Blame the puppeteers. Don't hate the player, hate the game. That's it. That's it. There you go. I knew you'd have another rap line before we took off here today, Nick. <laughs> well done. I got to ask you about winter chicken tips. Um, I am in sunny Austin, Texas. It's uh, damn near 90 degrees still here, but I know you in Washington um, have experienced some snow. It's a little chilly out there. Different weather, obviously. Please indulge us with your winter chicken tips. That's just it, Gerardo. Everybody's got out their pipe wrap and pipe insulators and space heaters and water de-icers and chicken warming lamps, the latter of which apparently you do not need, which is something I learned this week um, from a, a lovely lady who was cutting my hair. And you know how you always try to find some common ground with the person cutting your hair to have a conversation. Well, this young lady owned a bunch of chickens and some pigs, and we were talking about the cold weather and how she had her chickens inside and i said i had to get my heat lamp ready and she told me no you don't have to get your heat lamp ready you don't have to put a heat lamp on chickens they're totally fine down to 10 below as long as you have a spot for them to get out of the wind and i did not know this to be true so i took to the internet as i am want to do and, and verified what this lovely lady was telling me and she is correct um the chickens will self-adjust they don't need the heat lamp the heat lamp can in fact um, be bad for a couple of reasons. If mm. the ball burns out or if you lose electricity, they will have become accustomed to the heat and the shock of the new cold without the heat lamp will be worse than if they just had no heat lamp at all. And um, apparently heat lamps, giant, giant fire hazard, which you think would be obvious, but um, a lot of chicken coop fires. And I had a near incident last week or not last week, last winter where um, the, device that my bulb was hanging from uh slipped and the bulb was too close to the you know the wood shavings in the chicken coop and we had some smoke and some some crispy little wood shavings but no fire thank goodness and so i can see how that is certainly a hazard and i don't know how many chicken owners listen to the podcast but i for one will not be putting a heat lamp on my chickens this winter well that is very very interesting um maybe we can put a link up if if, if one exists um that, 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 yeah, that's fascinating. That, that, that's super interesting. Can you provide some context for people not familiar with with where you live and kind of how you live? Because I, I, I get to see a lot of the pictures, the family pictures, um, your beautiful family going out and, 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 you know, checking in on the chickens, feeding them, getting the eggs, the whole thing. So I'm privy to it. But for people who think, you know, Nick Hodge is somewhere in his millionaire mansion, you know, with his 450 foot yacht, just uh, living it up. Can you, can you, can, can you provide a little bit of context into kind of your lifestyle and, and, and the way you and your family go about it? Cause I, I, I think it's great. Well, this morning I almost didn't make it into my office in downtown Spokane because there was a giant tree across my driveway as I headed out. Um, at about 6.50 this morning. And so I called my wife and I from the driveway and I said, where do you got to go today? Because uh, I was thinking about just working from home. And she said, well, we got to take the kids out to do this and that. I was planning on going to the gym. And I said, all right, I'll be right back in. I got to take care of this tree. And so um, 
I was thinking about taking the chainsaw to it right then, but then I would have missed a couple of hours of work. So I went into the, I went to the outbuilding and I got the Kubota tractor and I took the bucket and I just, I piled the tree out of the way. Basically I hoisted it up with a bucket and I pushed it to the side of the driveway. And then I used the bucket to clean the remaining limbs and debris off the driveway. And then I took myself to work and I'll probably cut it up this weekend. And so that's one of, I don't know, five or 7,000 trees that are on the 40 acres, Ponderosa pines. Uh, there's five chickens. I know that's not a lot, but we get eggs <laughs> from those. Yeah. Uh, neighbors have horses. We have a pond. The pond has fish in it. There's ducks and geese that frequent the pond. I frequently shoot the ducks and the geese. We had duck for dinner last night. It <laughs> is mm, duck season. Love me some duck. Um, exactly right. And so, you know, it's a good mix. I'm a gentleman farmer, right? I go out and I shoot the duck with my shotgun, but then I bring it in and I put it in my sous vide bags and put it in that warm water and cook my sous vide duck. So that's how we do it. Sounds like an awesome cartoon. <laughs> I was watching, somebody sent me one the other day where it was, it was rabbit. It was, what was it? It was rabbit season. And so Daffy Duck, um, uh, no, excuse me. It was duck season. So Daffy Duck dressed up like um the rabbit right bugs bunny and then elmer fudd came and he was going to shoot the duck but the duck was like nah man i'm a rabbit you can't shoot me <laughs> and, and it's so not qe fun. it's not qe it's not qe don't call it right, QE. Exactly. exactly so bugs bunny came and he flipped around the side for what hunting season it was and put on the other outfit and flipped the script real quick as bugs bunny is tends to do <laughs> good stuff you got a stock of the week or a stock that you think people should be looking into God, we should go back to the beginning and talk about Milrock. There's no reason you shouldn't own Milrock at an $11 million market cap when someone just gave them $20 million for a percentage of their project. The ore body next door runs right into Milrock's property. They're building the roads to drill net right now. They'll drill next year. Uh, Milrock is, is a damn cheap stock and, a, and an easy one to own. I will say you might not have to wade in right now. A lot of people um, probably aren't aware of the situation. A lot of people might be down on Milrock from uh, its previous levels. And so I think it might be a bit of an ugly you know, tax loss season. So set some limit orders and see what happens. I like it. I'll uh, I'll highlight Chicana Copper, which has been absolutely decimated. Um, it was a bargain at forty cents. It was a bargain at thirty cents. It was a bargain at twenty cents. It's a real bargain at fourteen and a half cents Canadian right now. Market cap of fourteen million. I think uh, over sixty percent of that is backed up by cash, give or take. Um, they're drilling. Drills are turning. They got grade. They got copper. They have gold. They are waiting on a permit modification that will allow them to explore the more prospective parts of their property in Peru. I understand that Peru is a bit of a political mess. However, this has not affected the company in any way outside of the delay in the permit modification. So Chicana Copper, ticker symbol P-E-R-U on the Venture Exchange. Heck of a speculation at these levels. Been saying that all year. That's my disclaimer. <laughs> That's it, Mr. Hodge. That's all I got. Anything else on your, from you? Anything else you want to get out? Anything else you want to preach about? No, continue to enjoy the most bearish gold bull market ever. The most bearish gold bull market ever, everybody. This time next year, mark my words, we will all be laughing at the stuff we bought year-end 2019 2020, it's it's going to be absolutely spectacular, um, profitable. There's a lot of money to be made. Like real estate, a lot of it is made when you buy. 
Um, this is the buy low part of the buy low sell high equation, everybody. I know we've been saying that for years, it seems like, but I think we're getting to the end of it. We have a bull market. It's a confirmed bull market in gold. The fundamentals are as solid as they can be. And this uh, stability thing that we have going on temporarily is not going to last. That's all I got. Gerardo Del Real with Nick Hodge. This was episode 40 of Bizarro World. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great week. Love each other. Be nice to each other. Be kind to each other. Be a good human. That's all I got. Have a good one, guys. See ya.